Our Old Testament lesson today comes from the book of Joshua, the 24th chapter, right actually at the close of Joshua. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders of Israel, its leaders, judges, and officers. They presented themselves before God. Then Joshua said to the entire people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors lived on the other side of the Euphrates. They served other gods. Among them was Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. I took Abraham, your ancestor, from the other side of the Euphrates. I led him around through the whole land of Canaan. Then Joshua says to them, So now, revere the Lord. Serve him honestly and faithfully. Put aside the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if it seems wrong in your opinion to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Choose the gods whom your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But my family and I will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, God forbid that we ever leave the Lord to serve other gods. The Lord is our God. He is the one who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. He has done these mighty signs in our sight. He has protected us the whole way we've gone and in all the nations through which we've passed. The Lord has driven out all the nations before us, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, you can't serve the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He won't forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you leave the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn around and do you harm and finish you off in spite of having done you good in the past. Then the people said to Joshua, no, the Lord is the one we will serve. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. They said, we are witnesses. So now put aside the foreign gods that are among you. Focus your hearts on the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and will obey him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So we're coming in here in Joshua at the end of this story. I told you it's the last chapter of Joshua. And we haven't just been reading through Joshua, so I'm not going to presume that you remember exactly what happened in Joshua 17, for instance, right? But we should probably think about what has gone before in the story. The entire story has been about the people of Israel taking the land of Canaan, the land that would be known as the promised land to them. And we know that this land even back all the way to Abraham, was promised to Israel from God. But what the people were not fully prepared for was that when they would enter this land, it would not be empty. 
Thus, there was a lot of fighting and pillaging that Israel did in this conquest. In fact, the whole book of Joshua is basically about that, right? You remember at least the story about the Battle of Jericho and the walls coming tumbling down because of a song. But, but the rest of it, really the whole of Joshua, is about the conquest and taking over this land of Canaan and turning it into the promised land, what we know of as Israel today. There are going to be new challenges for the people of Israel living in the promised land. This is the message that God and that Joshua are laying out to the people. Now Moses tried to give them this same warning to the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness. And if you remember, Moses actually wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. He had to wait for Joshua to come and lead the people in. And so as Moses was looking over the the promised land that they would enter into... He warned Israel of these temptations that they would face and that they are now facing under Joshua's rule. In Deuteronomy 6.10, this is what Moses had said. Now, once the Lord your God has brought you into the land that he swore to your ancestors, right? He's given them future tents to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to you. A land that will be full of large and wonderful towns that you didn't build. Houses stocked with all kinds of goods that you didn't stock. Cisterns that you didn't make. Vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. And you eat and get stuffed. This is the promised land, full of milk and honey. Watch yourself, he says. Don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Revere the Lord your God. Serve him and take your oaths in his name. Don't follow other gods, those gods of the people around you. Because the Lord your God who is with you and who is among you is a passionate God, the Lord your God's anger will burn against you and he will wipe you off the fertile land. The message from Joshua seems eerily similar to that that Moses warned them about when they would come into this promised land. Don't forget. This is the message that Moses wanted the people to hear and it's the message that Joshua is carrying on. So in this beginning of Joshua's farewell address, he presents God's word to the people and he reminds them that he called Israel and formed Israel, that he's fought for Israel and saved Israel for generations. God looks all the way back for the people to before Abraham, the equivalent of saying before history to these people. That was a long time ago, even in Joshua's day. And he wants them to remember back to remember God's faithfulness to them. So after retelling their history from God's perspective, Joshua presents a series of challenges to the people of Israel. They are all based on this concept of not forgetting the Lord. But I believe that when we look at Joshua's challenges to Israel, we can also hear them as challenges to ourselves. The first challenge is this, the challenge of focus. The challenge of focus. Joshua says to them, So now, revere the Lord. Serve him honestly and faithfully. Put aside the Lord, put aside the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if it seems wrong in your opinion to serve the Lord, then choose the day whom you will serve. Choose the gods whom your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But my family and I will serve the Lord. No doubt Hobby Lobby has a throw pillow from this verse. 
As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You may have that one on your couch at home, or your Nana or Mima has it somewhere around on a couch at home. It is a great and a strong declaration. But the context of that declaration is very important. The people have other gods all around them literally surrounding them, the remains of the Amorites' deities whom they've taken out, the gods that their ancestors served even before the Lord or even in the land of Egypt when they were tempted. And Israel's temptation all of the time, and you know, if you know anything about the history of Israel and what's coming for them when they have kings and everything, their temptation all the time is going to be this, follow all the gods. Make the Lord one God of all the other gods, especially these Canaanite ones. Make a buffet of belief. Why not? Why not hedge your bets that you can like worship the Lord on Saturday, on the Sabbath, and then go ahead to some idol worship thing on Monday just in case, right? The problem that the Israelites encounter is this, the first commandment that God gives, right? What did he say? He said, you shall have no other gods before me, and then he told him, and you should not make an idol that represents anything. And all of these gods that were in the land of Canaan and the land of Egypt were idols, right? And we learn about the exclusivity of the Lord all throughout Scripture. He, he doesn't have time for the Israelites to mess with any other gods. What other gods do we try to worship? What is it that hinders our complete devotion to the Lord? Where are our hidden idols? The thing is, right, we, we today don't necessarily have like statues that we're going to try to worship. That's not necessarily our thing. So when we read these things, we're like, well, I don't know that. Right? But then when we're honest with ourselves for like more than three seconds, we realize there's all sorts of things that get in the way of our complete devotion to God, like all sorts of them, and that we might have more idols than ever before, right? And, the, and we have definitely more distractions than ever before and ways in which to create idols, right? So when we're honest with ourselves, we realize this. This is the challenge of focus. Will we maintain our attention and our intention upon the Lord? Or will we be distracted by the other gods all around us? Israel answers this first challenge by remembering. The way in which we address the challenge of focus is by remembering. The people answered, God forbid that we ever leave the Lord to serve other gods. The Lord is our God. He is the one who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. He has done these mighty signs in our sight. He has protected us the whole way through which we've gone and all the nations through which we've passed. The Lord has driven out all the nations before us, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Remembering God's faithfulness is what causes the people to commit to the Lord again. What do they remember? God brought them out of Egypt. God has done miracles for them. God has protected them and driven out the nations. This is the act of remembering in worship that the people of Israel did. How important that is still for Israel. The same festivals, the same 
readings, year after year after year, generation teaches generation. Why? Because we are apt to forget. And we need to remember. We need to remember the work of God in our lives and for us when God starts to feel distant. You might wonder, why do we do communion every week? I remember when it used to be like once a month. Or I remember back in the 1780s when I grew up, when there was when there was a circuit rider who came every quarter and we just had it every 90 days or so. Isn't that enough? I mean, it's not, I mean, it's the same thing every week. Why at the time of doing that do we say the same prayers and do the same things? Shouldn't you be more innovative, preacher? You're supposed to be young after all. Why don't we do new things like that? And the answer is because we need to remember when we remember the story of God's faithfulness to us, it causes us to commit anew to following God with our lives. Friends, we lose focus on the Lord alone when we don't remember what God has done for us. We lose focus on the Lord alone when we don't remember what God has done for us. Yes, you know the liturgy. Good. Yes, you know the story. Good. It's our story. Tell it again. Find yourself in it. Hear what God has done for you. Never forget it. The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, encouraged people to commune as much as they possibly could, even daily in his own life, so that he would not forget the second challenge Joshua enters to the people, right? It sounds like they've already committed to the Lord. And then Joshua keeps going on them, right? And I, and I believe this challenge is the challenge of integrity. He says, you can't serve the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He won't forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you leave the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn around and do you harm and finish you off in spite of having done you good in the past. Now this word integrity is one that I didn't understand the meaning of until more recently in my life. I knew a casual definition of integrity as acting the same when no one else is looking. Integrity was essentially anti-hypocrisy, which is a good starting place to understanding it. But I've learned a better way to think about integrity, and that's this, it's living wholly connected to yourself. The word integer, a whole number, is what kind of forms the basis of integrity. It is living and being fully oneself no matter what a person is going through and being comfortable with that very self. After the people of Israel have made this initial response to Joshua, he challenges them with those words, right? You can't serve the Lord because if you turn away, you are toast, right? It's almost like Joshua sees into Israel's future that's coming pretty soon, right? And knows what's going to happen. This is a challenge of integrity. Joshua is telling them the seriousness of the first commandment. You cannot say you're going to worship the Lord alone and not do it. And the way to respond to the challenge of integrity is this. It's to answer with wholeheartedness. 
And that's just what the people do. They double down and say, no, the Lord is the one we will serve. One major problem with the church, not Macedonia, the big C church, and its perception in the world today is that people have this idea that you have to have it all together to be here. I think we miss connecting with people so often who truly need the community of the church. We miss them because they are convinced that they have to have their lives together in order to be here. The church is meant to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. The church is meant to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Every single person who is sitting here, whether here, online, preaching to you, does not have it all together. I don't have it all together. But somewhere along the line, we have picked up this idea that church-going people should basically have a good semblance of their lives together. And friends, this is why the Ministry of Alcoholics Anonymous is so successful and so necessary. Because you walk in the door and you're immediately saying in that place, I don't have it all together. This is what the church should be about. This is why we confess our sins every week. Y'all, we wouldn't need to confess sin if you had done everything perfect and had it all together each week, right? You wouldn't need to tell me that I'm forgiven too and remind me of that. But clearly, I need it. We thought so much that it's in the liturgy and in the hymnal. We can't skip over that part. I don't just say, you're forgiven. You tell me I am too. We are literally saying that we don't have it all together, but our friends in AA practice what they preach. They know of the dependence necessary to lean upon God, and they model the strength needed to lean on one another, to be honest and vulnerable together, and ultimately to experience love and freedom and grace. This is wholeheartedness. Wholeheartedness is the answer to the challenge of integrity. The final challenge that Joshua, that Joshua brings is the challenge of accountability. Because Joshua is not done challenging the people of Israel. He knows how hard this commitment that they are making is going to be, and he knows how fickle people are. And it's almost like he sees into their future and, and their unfaithfulness on the basis of their past. So he challenges them one more time, sounding like Jesus, asking Peter three times, do you love me? Do you... Do you love me? Do you love me, right? Here's what Joshua says. You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Witnesses against yourselves. This is the challenge of accountability. Accountability is an idea that we like when it's for other people. But accountability is jarring for us today. It feels too personal. And accountability often feels like someone's getting too much up in my business. The other day, while reading this passage, I had just finished a brutal workout. As a holdover from COVID, my wife and I do these group workouts with a trainer on Zoom. I suppose I want to do these workouts. I even pay for the program. But the things that I do on these workouts, I would never do if there wasn't the accountability of a trainer showing at the exercises, keeping time, and looking at me with their judging eyes through the screen. I would go to the gym or exercise, but I would not do the things that they are asking me, making me, Carol, to do. 
Carol's really the hard one. And this accountability, I hate it while it's happening. I utterly loathe it. Carol is a curse name to me for that hour. But when it's over, I'm glad it happened. One way can community organizing structures have a lot of accountability built in. During those big meetings, we have to go to the front and to commit our organization to how many people are going to attend a training or an event in the future. And it feels daunting and a little off-putting at first. But the accountability is powerful. You realize that all of these other people and organizations are in this together with you. The people of Israel collectively shout back to Joshua, we are witnesses. They answer the challenge of accountability with commitment. Commitment is the answer to the challenge of accountability. Next Sunday is Consecration Sunday, and we are going to be making commitments for the coming year. The church is not all about money. And how we use our money is part of how we commit ourselves to God. When we commit our finances to the Lord, we are essentially saying with Joshua, but my family and I will serve the Lord. For some of us, that starts with getting spending under control in our lives. For others, it's making a plan for debt management. And in it all, the practice of giving consistently as a percentage of our income is and can become joyful discipline. Joyful discipline. For Laura and I, the practice of tithing has been part of our entire married life. We take what we make, move the decimal point back one, and that determines 10%. We're not that good at math, so it's not very hard to do that. As millennials who don't really know how to write a check anymore, this happens automatically via online giving for us. Online giving is no less spiritual for us. In fact, it feels more spiritual. It allows us to prioritize giving to our churches just like we do all of our other spending and saving priorities. I don't know about you, if I had to monthly write the check for a Roth IRA or a 401k, I wouldn't do it each month. But if it comes out automatically, I've prioritized that space. Now you might be saying, no, preacher, I like bringing my check in front of the church. That's great. Do that. I really don't care. The, the, the key is, however, it, however it's meaningful for you and helps you to place a place of priority. When we ask, what are the first fruits? We have the opportunity to give from the top instead of waiting until the end of the month to see if there's any money left. Automated withdrawals for us are the way to spiritually give our first fruits. The people of Israel respond. They respond back to Joshua with Joshua's level of commitment. They say, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey only him. It's a commitment of focus, a commitment of integrity, and a commitment of accountability. I wonder which of these aspects focus, integrity or accountability, is your greatest challenge today. Are you all in? Can you say, we will serve the Lord our God and obey only him? Or are you holding back part of yourself from God? I'll be honest with y'all, sometimes this is our Methodist dilemma. Just because it's not hellfire and brimstone every week, 
just because I'm not coming at you with that. Now, trust me, I got it in my past. I mean, I can do it. But, um, but I'm not going to come across that way because that's not the motivation that I think we have to follow Jesus. Just because it's not hellfire and brimstone each week doesn't mean that lukewarm is an option, right? In Revelation, we got some clarity around what, what God said he'd do with lukewarmness, right? So I'll spit you out of my mouth, right? Don't reference Revelation all the time for that, but it's there. This is sometimes our dilemma. We feel so nice as Methodists and like, hey, it's kind of a moderate type of thing that we can kind of give as we want and participate as we like. It's kind of a soft, soft way in commitment. The problem is that that doesn't equal what God is asking for in the scripture. He says, are you going to serve me with everything you got? Or are you going to go serve the other gods? Choose today whom you will serve. Let us pray. Lord God, we face these challenges of focus, of integrity, and of accountability in different ways. We're all coming at it from different spaces. Some of us are new at following you. And that question of focus is really difficult for us. Some of us have been following you for a long time, and that question of focus is really hard. Lord, some of us struggle mightily with integrity. It's easier to chameleon our way through life, to be one way somewhere and one way another. God, some of us don't want a thing to do with accountability. We want people to stay in their lane and out of our business. And yet in all of these spaces, you call us to stretch ourselves. You call us to commit ourselves maybe one step deeper into a walk with you to go just a little bit further so that we can experience the grace and the love. God, what's amazing about relationship with you is that the deeper we go, the more we are immersed into your love. The more we, the more we go into places where we did not think that you would call us to, then the more we experience your grace surrounding us. So God, I pray that each one of us would be open, would be open to which one of these challenges strikes us, which one hits us in the gut a little bit today, and that we'd address it, that we might tell someone around us, someone who we trust. Maybe it's a friend who's here, maybe it's someone who's not here. And that we would challenge, not just ourselves, but we'd be open to the Holy Spirit challenging us how we might be called to grow deeper. Lord, I pray that you would bless each one today, that you would open us up so that we might truly be able to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.